Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and mamas around the world. Hello, everyone. So this weekend, I came up with a great idea. I can't wait to share it with you all. Actually, it wasn't my idea, but it's my idea to share it. (laughs) So a lot of you have been reaching out asking about how to make mom friends. Uh, It seems like there is a need for some icebreakers out there, and I've got a great one. So hire a nurse or a company that does this, you know, use Google, and host a CPR course at your home. We did it this weekend. A bunch of Atomic Mamas and I, uh, many, many of the women that have been on this show, got together at Becca's home, and we had an awesome two-hour class. It was actually bizarrely fun and incredibly educational. And I'm going to do a whole episode about it sometime in the very near future because there's so much to cover. But here's a little taste of the stuff that I think is important. I got kind of grossed out when I just said a taste of the stuff. Anyway. Number one, clean out your car today or um, bribe your toddler to do it. No, the nurse told us that in an accident, anything that is not basically bolted down can become a projectile missile. He saw a penny implanted in a child's cheek. So I'm going to get some trash bags and I am going to clean out my car today. Also, Don't let your kids eat in the back seat. I didn't realize this because you won't know if they're choking. Isn't that horrible? Don't let your kids eat in the back seat. Finish your snack before you pull out um, or eat it at home. I'm going to have to deal with the wrath of Sabrina when I pick her up from preschool today, but it is worth it. No longer is she allowed to eat in the car. Oh, one last one. I got to I gotta share this one because it's so random. You probably won't get it in your class, but I think it's very worthwhile. If you are choking by yourself in your home, you basically have 45 seconds before you black out. So here's what you need to do. Call 911, get a big book, run out front outside so they can get you if you do pass out. And then push the book into your diaphragm repeatedly. Basically, you're giving yourself the Heimlich with the book. And the way it was explained to me is your diaphragm, you know, it's right below your ribs. It's that soft middle part right below your ribs. You should probably Google this. I am not a doctor. Uh, And you repeatedly jam the book into your diaphragm. Know your choke book ahead of time. My choke book, thanks for asking, is Hamilton, the American musical. It's a huge ass book. So... Everybody, a book can save your life. I'm really proud of that transition. I know, I know it's a stretch. I'm sticking with it. A book can save your life. Books are important, right? And our guests know this firsthand. And today we are talking about reading. I don't need to tell parents that reading's important. We all want our children to be readers. But I also know that it's really easy to give our kids uh, screen time right? It's so much easier. Um, And in this episode, we're learning about how screen time doesn't necessarily need to compete with reading time. We can use screen time as a gateway, 
We can get tricky with screen time in order to encourage our kids to read. So Tracy Hecht, our first guest, has developed a 15-book series. This is a busy woman, okay? It's called The Nocturnals. And she has created the Read Aloud Writing Program Workshop that is being incorporated in the education library systems in over education slash library systems in over. I need to learn how to read. That's what this episode's really about. In over 50 districts and other charitable organizations around the country. Uh, last year, she launched a partnership with the Ryan Seacrest Foundation to bring the Nocturnals program to the broadcast media centers within pediatric hospitals. In our conversation, we also talk about entrepreneurship and team building because I know a lot of mamas out there have great ideas and would love advice on how to find collaborators, how to make it work. And because this is Atomic Moms podcast and I'm super neurotic, I also ask about like, how do you make a like a, a collaborative breakup? Uh, workout, you know, because I go there sometimes. Okay, this is the part of the show that I am so psyched about, too. For the first time ever, I'm having a segment where I'm actually not a part of it. <laughs> and uh, longtime Atomic Moms listener and dear friend Eleanor Burkett, you know, we were, we were very friendly before. Uh, the podcast, and then she started listening all the time, and she wrote me the most beautiful email near the beginning, and then it really, basically, this podcast is a gateway to my friendships, but Eleanor's been listening for over three years, and she interviews the founder of an amazing charity called The Book Truck. Elizabeth Draga is getting teens psyched about reading by bringing them cool books that they're actually excited about. So you must stick around to hear about the important work that she is doing with the book truck and the innovative ways in which she's doing it. And I will be right back with Tracy Hecht to talk about the nocturnals. And uh, all right, we'll be right back after this delightful interlude. Where are you right now, Tracy? I'm actually traveling right now. I'm in I'm in South America, but um, but normally I'm based in New York. <laughs> Amazing! What are you doing there? Um, you know, I come here. I first of all, I write much better when I'm out of the office, um, and I'm working on a new series right now. And I I love to spend time in South America, in particular in Uruguay. So um, so I'm just here for a quick trip. I'll be back up um in next week. What time is it in Uruguay? <laughs> 11. And you're a seven. So you're West Coast. You're LA. Oh, yeah. I'm very LA. If you can't tell by my voice, I was trying to do a vocal warm up while my eight month old was nursing this morning. <laughs> and she kept looking up at me like, shut up, mom. I'm trying to get my milk. Um, so anyway, let's start off with your amazing book series. So right now, The Nocturnals consists of 15 books for middle grade readers, and you have your very first early reader book out, which I am excited about in our home because we have a four and a half year old. Uh, do you mind introducing our mamas to these characters that you've created behind this series? Yes, I'd love to. The series is centered around three main characters, a pangolin, a sugar glider, and a fox. And um, and the, a pangolin, is a, if you don't know, is a little bit like an armadillo. It's, its body's covered in like these really awesome scales. It almost looks like armor. 
Um, they're fantastic animals. Like they're just such cool things. And their physiologies, actually all of the characters physiologies really inform the character development on who they are in the books, which, um, I think kids really like because, um, you know, when you, when you meet pangolin, the pangolin is named Tobin and Bismarck is the sugar glider and Dawn is the Fox, the, the leader of the group. Um, you know, you, you can quickly go and start to look at their real life animals and see how their physiologies inform a lot of the inspiration and storytelling that I do, which, um, you know, makes the books one have like a really interesting science edge to them, which, you know, works really well in schools and for curriculum, but also is really engaging for kids at that age because, you know, nocturnal animals and animals in general are, you know, they're compelling for, you know, kids seven to 12 and even younger, you know, for the early, early readers. My four and a half year old actually was so excited. She, when she learned about nocturnal animals, it became like all the rage in our house to like talk about which ones are nocturnal. Why do you think kids are so drawn to the night? <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, when I, I tour schools a lot and, um, and they oftentimes ask me why and how I started writing the series. And, and they love the answer, which is that, you know, I have four kids and my kids hate going to bed. So, when you put your kid to bed, they always say things like, you know, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm not, tired. you know, all these things. Right. So I, um, and kids, every time I tell this in like schools, kids are like raising their hands, like trying to tell me their best excuses. Like <laughs> I can't go to sleep because it's really, really funny. But, um, but the whole reason I decided to write about nocturnal animals was because I thought, oh my God, I want to write a story that takes place when it's time to go to bed so that it's fun to get into bed and see what's going to start happening at night, which if you think about it as a kid, you know, night's forbidden. You have to go to bed. So anything that happens in night, Night, you're excluded from, including this whole realm of like the animal kingdom. And, uh, and so just by sort of the nature of where it's set, it's, um, it really, it, uh, you know, I found that kids really like it because it's, um, it's like sort of this, this forbidden place and time that they're excluded from. And on top of it, the things that live in the nocturnal realm, the animals are, they're hilarious and bizarre and super interesting. So it's, um, it, you know, I have a lot of material just inherent in the, in the concept that is really fun to write about. I'd love to hear about the, like, a, the initial spark that led to this project. Like, where were you when you were like, oh, gosh, I want these characters and I actually want to uh, write for this age group or even come up with doing a series at all? Like, wh were you in a coffee shop? Were you, like, at a bar with friends? Like, <laughs> what was that moment when you were like, oh, I'm going to uh, undertake this massive project? <laughs> Um, you know, it really sort of came over several things that, um, that I had been working on, which is that I had been working in film and TV and been writing, um, for film and TV. And, um, and I have kids that range now from age, you know, 27 all the way down to 10. Um, and I've really watched over the last 20 years of parenting, the way that, kids free time is much more competitive just because of the rise in technology and different forms of entertainment available to kids. Whereas 20 years ago, you didn't have tablets and this proliferation of YouTube videos and video games and all of these things that really do compete for your kids time. And, and I thought to myself, I really, I really want to, I want to move away from this content TV and film that, um, 
And I really want to get back to books because I really believe in reading and I believe in reading for this age group. I think it's, um, you know, look, the data is all there. It's incredible what reading and reading aloud does for your kids development, cognitively, confidence wise, emotionally, um, in terms of exposure to the world and all the things they can, they can experience. But, um, you know, on top of it, it's also really fun and that, that should be, you know, that's something that I really want to spend my time doing. So the idea really came to, to move to books and books for younger kids for middle grade, seven to 12. And then, you know, the series expanded into early readers. Um, and then that's when I sort of started thinking about what would be a compelling subject matter to write about for kids. And that's how the, the nocturnal element of it came up. You know, secretly, because my husband is a screenwriter in Los Angeles, everyone go see his new movie Rampage <laughs> starring Dwayne Johnson. Uh, I secretly, like desperately want your response <laughs> to be that the initial spark was like, I'm done with you, Hollywood. I'm going to go and I'm going to write these <laughs> books and help save the world one child at a time. That's what my secret wish for your answer was. <laughs> what? I, but I have to say, I love movies. I love TV. It's not that I don't like it. I just think that, that you know, what happens is you oftentimes go for the easy thing. And sometimes kids don't think the book is the easy thing. And it is. It's just all about patterning. And so if you just have books and, and patterning around books available, then it becomes as compelling as, you know, watching a really good movie or a really good YouTube video or fill in the blank, whatever else you're watching. Talk to me about the rhythm. God, this sounds wrong, but I'll just say it. <laughs> you're, the, you know, the rhythm method that you use in writing this series. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> I not phrased that way in any of my school visits. That's wild. <laughs> But uh, but I'll give the same answer, okay. um, which is that, um, you know, a lot of my favorite childhood authors have very distinct voices. And, you know, you probably know many of the same ones I love. I love Roald Dahl, everything about Roald Dahl. I just love reading everything he does. Um, but, you know, even really, you know, like early childhood things, like I think James Marshall and George and Martha is, you know, fantastic, Frog and Toad. These are stories that when you read them, they have such a distinct voice that you really know you're reading them, even if you hadn't looked at the cover. And um, and so when I started writing The Nocturnals and, you know, back to the idea that, you know, when I was researching these animals and their physiology was really informing the characters, I was really aware of what I wanted the series to sound like, what the voice of the series would be. And so um, I created something just sort of through workshopping and, and, you know, getting to know the characters really closely, the three main ones, the sugar glider, the pangolin and the fox, which um, I call the three, two, one, which is that for every three words that the sugar glider Bismarck says, Tobin says two words and Don says one. And it's not literal. I obviously don't go through and count it. But um, but in terms of the way I tell the story, Bismarck is this very teeny sort of like overcompensating little sugar glider. And he just blabbers on all the time. Yammer, yammer, yammer. He's, you know, he's silly. He's wacky. He's insecure, but never going to show it. Um, and he speaks a lot. And then Tobin is this very gentle, compassionate, loving pangolin. And he always frames um, what Bismarck says in this way that's like, you know, very supportive of Bismarck. And then Dawn is the leader. She's the fox. And she she punctuates it with, um, you know, kind of the direction on how 
what Bismarck has said and Tobin has framed and where they're going to go with that information. And I really do storytell in that three, two, one style so that it's very dialogue based. Um, you know, it, it, people do oftentimes, and I oftentimes refer to the, the storytelling as, you know, having a cinematic vernacular and that it's, it has like a real rollicky, um, you know, banter between the three main characters. And I observe that three, two, one in a way that, you know, is the way I sort of communicate all the adventure and mystery and everything that happens. You developed this series with a team, which I think is probably very unusual. You're the founder of Fabled Films, and then you have this whole team that helps produce these books. So I'd like to ask you some mompreneur questions. I can't say the word mompreneur without like laughing at myself, but I just had to get it in there since it's a mom podcast. So our listeners are excited about pursuing their passions, but at the same time, it's hard to press the go button on your dreams when you, you know, you don't have the time to do it all yourself. You already spend so much of your time isolated from others. So the idea of collaboration is really, really attractive can you talk a little bit about that, about team building and about how do you choose the people you're going to work with and what are the pitfalls that we should avoid and how do you make sure you get what you want as the ringleader while also making sure everyone else uh, stays creatively satisfied? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one of my favorite things that I do. And, um, and as a creative person, I, you know, I really believe there has to be singular vision for something to maintain its heart and its spirit. And so, you know, anytime you collaborate, you want to make sure you maintain that singular vision. But at the same time, if you're autocratic, um, you don't really allow it to breathe and grow in the way that it should when you work with a team. So, um, you know, for me, I really, I really created the series alone. I created the characters, the storytelling style, I wrote the first book by myself. I, I really did create what I call the framework and the and the fundamentals of the nocturnals and um, all the stories that we tell. And, you know, over the past two years of writing it, I've worked with several writers. Um, one writer in particular, her name is Sarah Fieber. I met really early on. She's been part of the series from the beginning. And it's like anything, you know, it's like it's like a friend or a boyfriend or a husband. Um, you know, the chemistry you have with people you work with is really vital and vitalizing or else it's not. And, you know, there's some writers that have, have come on and we've had like, you know, really engaged collaboration, but it hasn't sustained itself just because maybe it's not that it doesn't have that chemistry. Um, but Sarah and I have been really core to the series from, you know, from as soon as I brought a team on to do the rest of the project with me, Sarah has been involved with it. And then we've had other writers that have worked with us too. But at this point, the, um, the framework is so, um, it's so solid that it's really, it's almost, um, it's almost whether or not someone enjoys it because it, it's, um, you can tell what it is you're joining up for. So that, that's a great thing. And, um, and, you know, in terms of the entrepreneurial nature of it, you know, for starters, I, um, I had, I, I have incredible support. It's not that I'm like doing this, you know, when my child's taking a two hour nap, though, ironically, I did write the books the first two years of my youngest son's life. Um, 
I, I wrote the series because I wanted to be home more. And, um, and so I really did write at home. I wrote during his nap time. It took forever, but that was important for me. Um, but then in terms of the day to day now, you know, it's not, it's not that simple. I am not graceful. I'm not, it's, I'm not like one of those women who quote, like manages it all so effortlessly. And, uh, and it's hard work and you, you know, you, you, you don't always find your life is in balance. And sometimes you're, you're not doing right by your partner and your work partners mm-hmm. and your business. And sometimes, you know, you're not a hundred percent where you should be with your kids. And that's just, I think that's one of the struggles about being, um, a woman who loves to be a parent and who also loves to work. And, um, so I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to like fantasize that to anybody about how like, you know, perfect I have it as a writer or, or a mom. It's hard work. I mean, I'm sure you, you feel the exact same way, mm-hmm. you know, managing both. What's a way to, create like a smooth transition out of a relationship. And I have a lot of anxiety about collaborating with others because I'm always kind of, I'm like a girlfriend who's like, well, we'll end up breaking up someday and then it'll be awkward. So I don't even want to like go on the date. <laughs> yeah. no, it's uh, I mean, first of all, you got to go on the date, right? So okay. um, you have to try. Um, but you know, look, it's like, it's, it's again, like nothing, I'm, I'm not going to have a secret answer for somebody. It's, it's about having really good, really clear, really continuous communication and making sure everybody knows what it is they're participating in and in what terms and in what way. I mean, there's no way around it. Everyone would say that, that this is my series and this, and at the end of the day, you know, the decisions that I make for the series, they have to be mine. Otherwise it becomes dilutive if you're trying to accommodate all of these different people. Now at the same time, you know, partners who you, I've worked with for a really long time, Sarah being a good example, or even the business partners on the publishing side. Um, there's a group of business partners that, you know, we work with really, really tightly because we have so much curriculum material that we do in schools, um, language arts, um, STEM learning, all of this that goes along with the books. You you never, when you have a good partnership, you never want to have to, you never want to have to be the boss. Do you know what I mean? Like you want to, you want to make sure you get to answers together because that ensures that you're, you're both listening well and you're both advocating well on your own behalf. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes things don't work out and it's just really important to acknowledge it, I think, and to, you know, be clear around your um, perspective on things and let someone else be clear on their perspective, which doesn't mean it always has a harmonious conclusion, but it does mean it can be respectful in its in its end. And um, and I think that's really important in both creative and, um, you know, more traditional professional environments is that you maintain that very clear communication and that respect with each other, um, both in in really positive, wonderful, thriving dynamics and in ones that are that are more challenged. So to get to all the work you do with schools, I was so fascinated by your creative solution in getting to visit these schools across the country. So I would love for you to talk to us a little bit about like, how did you come up with your idea for doing these online visits? Can you explain them to our audience? And and I'd love to know where that idea originated from. Yeah, no. Um, so originally, I did a really great read aloud writing program with the New York Public Library that we rolled out in New York City public schools, um, K through five. And it was really successful. And I live in New York City, so it was easy. 
And I went, you know, to all these schools and it, there was no cost to me or the publisher. It was a subway metro card, right? So you could do it. And at the same time, there was a lot of interest in the program being rolled out internet. I mean, sorry, not internationally. Um, <laughs> no, excuse me, back that up nationally. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and at the same time, you know, it, it's both practically really difficult to be on the road like that in terms of if you're a parent or you have a business in, or a team in a singular place. And, and also it's expensive. So, um, you know, we really, we, we thought about ways in which we could roll this program out. And one of the things that's amazing is that this generation of young people of seven to 12 year olds are as comfortable talking to a screen as they are to a human. It's just their, it's their normal. Right. So I thought to myself, you know, it's, it would be really amazing to lead these programs in a way that these kids are totally comfortable. So I started doing programs in public schools and private schools nationwide if it was a lower income area, I would go in on a library computer or even maybe a teacher would allow me to do a phone and they would all gather on the phone, which I love because these are schools that don't get author visits because they just, they can't pay for them. They can't justify them. Um, nobody goes to these small markets all the way to, you know, really affluent schools that have tech departments. And I project up onto screens into entire auditoriums with, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred kids. And I lead the reading aloud writing workshop, which um, is really great because, you know, kids, we've talked about this a little bit with the series, but the Nocturnals has all of these really great elements for kids, which is it has the storytelling and sort of the rollicky nature of the adventure and the mystery and the humor. But then it has all of this, you know, sort of science, what I would call inspiration and inherentness to it in terms of the animals and the world and lives that they're living in. So it's really engaging for kids, not just in terms of like the actual narrative, but in terms of like this whole world that you can talk to them about. And you have a partnership with Ryan Seacrest Foundation to bring this program to broadcast media centers within pediatric hospitals. I'd love to hear a little more about that. Oh, it's an amazing program. You know, all of these children's hospitals nationwide, you know, these kids spend a lot of time there, you know, kids who have chronic illnesses or even being treated for something on a long-term basis. And Ryan Seagrass has done media centers in, in many of them. And so we partnered with them essentially to run programming in the in the Ryan Seagrass centers. So we do wow. the read aloud writing program. I read just I read aloud because I think read aloud is just like a wonderful way to spend time with people that's off screen. Um, mm. You know, we play bingo, we have face painting parties. And, you know, again, I just project in on, on the media center screens and into the actual rooms with kids who are, you know, whether they're having chemo or whatever. It is. You can go in and have, you know, interaction with these kids in the hospitals in a way, you know, is really it's great because, you know, as a as a kid, that's that's not where you want to be spending your day. And so it feels really nice to be able to do something that's fun and, you know, engages kids, you know, like plush animals, like stuffy animals of Dawn the Fox. And there's like good toys to leave behind. And it's, it's uh, the Ryan Seacrest Foundation partnership has been really fun to do. One of my favorite parts about what you have created is if listeners go to nocturnalsworld.com, so you can print out all of these awesome worksheets and you can like make masks based on the characters. And there's, tell me a little bit more about that. Like what, what are the other little like fun supplemental materials that you guys provide for free? Because I'm definitely going to be getting a little crafty with Sabrina. <laughs> Oh my God, you should. I, I have to say the face painting is so cute. I mean, I, I never tires to me. 
But um, but no, I mean, we started all these things, one, because it just begs for it, right? Because there's all these like hilarious characters and, you know, there's like really interesting things you can do, whether it's like art projects or science projects. And so, you know, we started to do that. But on top of it, I will say, you know, in particular, the animated shorts, which are really cool because the illustrator is actually an artist. She's not an illustrator by training. And we took her illustrations, which are these beautiful ink on paper drawings, and we turned them into digital puppets. And then we cast them to actors who actually act out the parts of the book. So it it sort of feels like an animation if you watch it, like a, like an arty animation rather than like a, you know, CG animation. Mm -hmm. But but the reason we did all these is because not every kid is a reader. And I love reluctant readers. I think that <laughs> I think that like, you know, if you have a kid that's a bookworm from like age six or five, lucky you, that's amazing because your job is done for you. But many kids take to reading slowly and feel slightly intimidated by it, or maybe it's not natural to them, or maybe they have some learning issue around it, and they should still be able to enjoy literary story too. So what I do is create with this team. And and again, it goes back to having like these amazing partners in animation and our, in our publishing team and our distributors. Um, We create all these extra materials to help kids engage in the characters and story in a way that makes them more comfortable to then read the book or have the book read aloud. The book we offer on audio so you can get it from, you know, audible books and you can have it read aloud to you because you know, the whole joy of reading does not have to come from this natural, like, I just am such a good reader and I read so well and I love reading. It can come in its own sort of like backdoor way too, because, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a pleasure to be enjoyed by all. And it's something that it doesn't have to be engaged in, in a singular way. So we do all of that extra programming to help kids become interested in the story so that they want to read or have the books read to them. And it's fun because at the end of the day, I mean, who doesn't love a little like face painting of a fox or a sugar glider? You look really your kids look hilarious and adorable in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until bath time, Tracy, when I have to take it off. And then there's always a meltdown. Every time I go to a birthday party, I'm like, please, not around the eyes. Just not around the eyes. <laughs> oh, my God. You're a better mom than I am, though, because I'm always like, oh, that's going to go all over my couch and all over my walls and all over everything else. <laughs> yeah, but why do you think I throw her in the bath? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Tracy, thank you so much. Please enjoy the rest of your work retreat in Uruguay. Listeners, you can check all of this out at nocturnalsworld.com. We'll be right back. Hello, fellow Atomic Mamas. My name is Eleanor, and I have been listening to the podcast for at least three years since my daughter was probably three or four months old. I am a chef and I would go in the kitchen and turn on as many episodes as were available, stick the kid on the floor and cook. And it felt like I had friends sitting in the kitchen chatting away while I worked. So today I wanted to share with you guys a nonprofit that a friend of mine started, an old friend. I mean, you're not old. We're just, (laughs) we've just been friends for 18 years. No. Oh, man. But a nonprofit that she started years ago in L.A., and I think it is amazing. So hi, Liz. Hi. I should say I call her Liz. Her name is Elizabeth. Yes. I'm so happy to be here today. I'm really excited to share everything that you're doing. 
So Elizabeth started a nonprofit called The Book Truck. And when did you get started? So we officially filed for nonprofit status in 2011. And before that, I guess about a year before that, I was kind of doing it on my own, sort of out of my car. Testing it out. (laughs) Testing it out. Uh, Since I think, I guess it was probably January 2010. What is the mission? What do you do? So the mission of the book truck is to increase literacy skills among foster care and low-income teens in order to break the cycle of poverty. A big part of what we do is giving away free books but more than just giving away free books, um, we our goal is really to do what we need to do to make sure that the teens that we give books to are, are actually reading them and increasing their literacy skills and um, improving outcomes in their lives. Basically, if you can increase someone's literacy skills, they are on their way to higher rates of high school graduation, higher yeah. employment rates lower rates of teen pregnancy, lower rates of incarceration. So literacy is just a huge, obviously. The gateway. Yeah, we need it. And how do you get the, I mean, how do you take kids that have never been readers, never been interested, don't care about it at all, and make them want to read? Well, we actually, so our whole model is based on uh, something called self-determination theory, which is something that a lot of different programs, especially kind of mentorship programs and things like that used to build intrinsic motivation. Um, Because the whole thing with getting someone to read in their free time is that you've got to, you have to motivate them to do that, right? Because nobody is telling them or forcing them to read. You have to help them build that internal motivation to want to read on their own to increase their literacy skills. So the components of self-determination theory that help that happen are competence So feeling like you're good at something. So one of the things we try to do is we model for kids the skills of picking out a book for themselves. You know, what are all the things you need to know? How do you read the back of the book to know what a book is about? What do the awards mean on the front? All that kind of stuff. The next thing is autonomy. So giving them um, the ability to feel like they have some choice in the learning process. So when the book truck comes, which I didn't say this earlier, but we do actually have a book truck. It's oh, like right. A, we should, yes. We should mention that. Yes. It's an actual truck. It's a truck. Uh, <laughs> it's a small truck, but it holds about 600 books. Um, Seriously? Really, yes. And it's all very curated to be high interest titles. We get a lot of feedback from kids about what they're interested in. What do they want to read? What What are the hot books right now? Just in general, what's being made into a movie? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Right. So anyway, they have all of those choices, right? So that's what autonomy is about, is about the ability to choose something. So the kids come to the book truck, they get to pick out whatever they want to read. And then the last element is community. So one of the really cool things, and it didn't start this way, but it kind of evolved this way, is that all of our kind of book recommenders at our events that are helping all of our volunteers that are helping the teens find stuff they want to read are other teenagers, So we train teens from all over L.A., but also in the communities we're serving. So if we're going into like a Title I high school or something like that, we'll take a group of kids from that school and train them in kind of the art of book selling. I call it book selling 101, basically, because I used to be a book seller. I love it. (laughs) And that's where that's sort of where the training is based in. But again, 
it's really teaching them how to model those skills for somebody to to feel comfortable and, and then it's peer to peer. And yeah, so peer to peer is where you generate the community. And the cool thing that happens is that at our events, suddenly you have kids that didn't know their friends were reading and they suddenly know because one of the awesome things is that we're basically mobbed every time we do an event. So it, it's just huge, awesome. huge demand for the books. And that kind of excitement makes all of the other kids excited about reading, whether or not they knew they were going to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, And it's that community experience or that kind of like a culture shift yeah. that also creates that intrinsic motivation to read because suddenly you just picked out a book and your friend picked out a book and now you have someone to talk about the books with and all that kind of stuff. And at the so a lot of times you're doing events. Yes. You're doing like book fairs or book yeah so we we call them literacy events so we have two um that literacy events are kind of our initial branch of programming that we started with so those are typically anywhere from 50 to 500 kids although we're about to do a really large event at y'all west which is this huge young adult literacy festival there's going to be i think about 1200 kids at that so how many books do you have to have so we will probably have, you know, 2,500 to 3,000. No big deal. No big deal. That's why my living room <laughs> is full of books right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we do, we put on these literacy events where, like I said, there's a ton of books. There's teen volunteers doing peer-to-peer recommendations. And then we're all kind of modeling the skills of, of how to pick a book that you like. Yeah. Over the course of the next year, we're actually starting a new program which is we're calling our teen literacy centers. So the idea is to take the experience of a literacy event and all of the kind of excitement, excuse me, that's created around that and place it in a fixed location that kids could come to visit on a regular basis. And will that be in their school? Yes. We're looking actually at one of our partners potentially is a youth homeless shelter. Another one is an alternative high school just different kinds of community centers where teens gather. I don't really want to call it a library because basically the idea is that the books will leave the space, right? Right. So they're not intended to stay on the shelves. They're intended to circulate the community. So if you find a book that you love, you can give it to your friend or your sibling. You can um, keep it for yourself. There's no late fee, all that kind of stuff. So the idea, again, is to get kids hooked into reading in a way that then gives them that motivation to get themselves to the library um, to get more books, right? So we want to be that kind of gateway experience that really opens the door, like flips on that light switch to reading. Yeah. And then I wanted you to share the story that you've told me about before about the young man that when he was from El Salvador. Yes. So, yes, Um, this was a story about Jonathan. He, we met... Uh, as a 16-year-old, he came to America from El Salvador with his mom as, I think, a four or five-year-old um, and had a really, uh, they were fleeing some really rough circumstances in El Salvador. And he also has said that he basically felt like he came into a similarly dangerous situation in Los Angeles, so a neighborhood yeah. that was really plagued by gun violence and When we met him, it was at an alternative high school. We were doing regular literacy events there. We were going about once a semester. And he was not really that 
excited about us being there, right? Before we met him, he didn't, he wasn't a reader. He didn't really care about books. He was actually just on the verge of dropping out of high school. So we met Jonathan. It was one of our events and, you know, just started talking with him. What are you interested in? What do you want to learn more about? What kind of, what type of book do you think you want to read? Mm -hmm. You know, and he gravitated towards all of our books are divided into different genre categories. So kind of teen friendly genre categories. I love these. So there's like the thriller action dystopia category, which is all all the books are labeled with a skull and crossbones. Yeah, it's the labels that are my favorite. Yes, those are that's probably the most popular. Yeah, that's probably the most popular category, the skull and crossbones. There's also, you know, realistic romance and sports and graphic novels. And it's a whole it's a whole system. I can do a whole thing just talking about. I love your system. Categorizing books. But. (laughs) Um, so he gravitated toward the thriller action dystopia section, and he actually took a book by um, an author named Cheryl Rainfield called Stained, and it was about a girl who has this birthmark on her face, which is why it's called Stained, and she's actually abducted. And what happens in the story essentially is that no one saves her, and she has to mm-hmm. rescue herself. So Jonathan wow. took that book, and he read it in one sitting, never really having read a book for fun before. You know, it was just like, uh, it was like uh, flipping on a switch, you know? And so at all of our events, we make sure that kids get to take home two books because as a reader, I think it's important for people to know that you don't have to like every book. Um, Yeah. Sort of, that's just one of the things that, again, it's a skill if you grow up as a reader, like the thinking about picking, like picking something up and putting it down and picking it back up later, isn't really something we think about because we've seen our parents do it. But if you are already thinking like, I'm not a reader and you try a book, then it just, and you don't like it, then it's just further confirmation that like, this isn't for you. I'm not a reader. Yes. Right. So that's why we always let kids take two books so that they have the opportunity to try something else on. And we tell them like, you know, it's okay if you don't like a book, like it's not a big deal. (laughs) Put it down. Everyone's in the mood for different things (laughs) at different times. So because he had two books, he was able to just immediately pick up the next book and start reading it. And he said that was really what made the difference for him. You know, we were talking to him about it afterwards. And he said, yeah, it's not that I got one book. It's that, you know, I had two books. And suddenly he's trying to figure out how do I get a public library card? Yeah. Finishes the second one. And it's like, hey, I'm a reader. Yeah. Right. No idea. And how cool is that? That's really cool. Yeah. And so now he is he was on the verge of dropping out of high school and now he's in college. He graduated um Incredible. and it's really cool and he you know he told us like the book truck gave me literacy which is pretty awesome uh, yeah yeah <laughs> that's the goal you did that yes <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for sharing your story and can you let the listeners know where to find out more about the book truck of or how to course. support you and what you're doing yes so our website is thebooktruck.org.org and um, we are also on all or not all the social media platforms, but Instagram, Facebook, Twitter as just the book truck. So you can find us there and um, try to post regular pictures of our different events and all that kind of stuff. So um, if you have teens that are interested in volunteering, you can check out our website. We have a teen volunteer section and you can actually they can fill out an application online And that will get them on the list to know about our next teen training. 
So there's lots of opportunities for teens to volunteer from becoming uh, the book recommenders at our events to also um, doing book drives for us. We do a lot of really successful book drives with teens and in their schools and stuff and in their neighborhoods. Yep. That's great. So we have different materials for that. And yeah, we're always um, we're always looking for new people and lots of help. All right. Well, thanks, Liz. I am super proud of what you do. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you, Atomic Moms. 